is Desmond Child, hitmaker to the stars. And I'm talking rock and roll with Dave Kinchin. In a world entrenched in darkness, desperately seeking hope and security, a coalition of nations invoke a highly classified program, commissioned by their ancestors generations ago, for such a time when all else has failed. They called for but one man to light the flame, to carry the torch, which is really a guitar, ready to blast the battle cry. Behold, the time has come for... Rock and Roll! Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Desmond Child interview. We are so thrilled to bring you part one of our chat with the legendary hitmaker. He is about to release an album called Desmond Child Live, where he sings many of the massive hits that he co-wrote with Aerosmith, Bon Jovi, and many other artists. As you may know, and if not, we're telling you right now, over the past five decades, Desmond Child has had more than 80 Billboard Top 40 singles to his credit, which have sold over 500 million records worldwide with downloads, YouTube views, and streaming plays are, of course, in the billions. From Aerosmith to Zed, Child has had a genre-defying set of collaborations with a laundry list of artists that run the gamut from rock, R&B, urban, EDM, country to Latin music. Bon Jovi, as we said, Kiss, Cher, Joan Jett, Alice Cooper, Michael Bolton, and so many others. Sia, Katy Perry, Kelly Clarkson, and... Oh my gosh, the list just goes on and on and on. So without further ado, here is part one of our chat. This is a high honor and distinct privilege. We are joined by a legendary Grammy-winning songwriter, Desmond Child. He has written hits that you've heard probably since before you were born. Uh, Desmond Child, welcome to the show. Hey, it's so great to meet you over the phone. Likewise, likewise. Uh, I'm a huge fan, and this is a, a big honor, so such a pleasure to talk with you. Um, the new album, Desmond Child Live, comes out. Uh, these are some of the just some of the huge songs that you've written over the years, and you tell a little bit of the stories going into how you wrote those songs. How does it feel to share this music, your story behind this music, with the fans out there? Well, you know, it's it's been an awesome ride, my career, and this the this, I've been so lucky with the, with the songs that were recorded. You know, like we had a fantastic um, run with um, you know Bon Jovi and Aerosmith and Kiss, and um, you know it, I I felt like it was time for me to kind of like sing them my way. You know, yeah. Um, and um, tell the stories, some of the to stories behind the songs, and uh, share that because I, I love singing. But somewhere along the way, you know, after I had my group Desmond Child and Rouge in the late '70s, and my group broke up, and then I started working with bands. I started with Kiss and and all that. Somewhere along the way, I lost track of things as a solo artist, and uh, made an album in '90 one called Discipline and then kept, you know, being a studio rat till just, you know, last year and mm. I started I started saying, Okay, now it's my time. 
And you chose these songs, uh, some of them are obvious in terms of just how hugely successful they were. Some other songs, too, that some fans may not be as familiar with. How did you go about just curating the, the numbers and the specific songs that you wanted to share? Well, it wasn't, you know, it was kind of obvious, you know, and, and a lot of it was determined on which ones I could actually sing well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like competing, you know, with amazing performances by John Bon Jovi and and uh, Richie Sempora and Steven Tyler and Paul Stanley, yeah. uh, because everybody has that so ingrained. But sometimes it's it's fun to hear it, you know, like on the down low. Um, but I mean, I had a full band and I had guest uh, singers, and um, you know, I so I I kind of put it together in terms of you know what would be the easiest ones, and then uh, which ones I could, uh, you know. There were so many, I, I, I mean, that sounds kind of egotistic. There's so many hits, but um, there really were so many it didn't fit all into the show. And then there were some personal songs that I wanted to sing as well mm. that um, maybe weren't so big, but were my favorites. And I also um, um, had a song in the show that that's from my Broadway musical that I've been working on with my collaborator, David Sigerson. Uh, the show's called Cuba Libre, and yeah. it's the true story of my family before and after the Cuban Revolution. So we, we put one of those songs in, sung by Tabitha Fair. Okay, that's really cool. So there's a lot that people will get in terms of uh, your voice, the writing, and, and what's personal to you as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was wondering about what, when you write a song. I mean, how do you did you approach it differently because of based on who you're writing with, or do you hear something on the piano first, or do you hear something lyrically, or does it just like what's the how do you generally approach it? Well, I've been writing songs ever since I was a little tiny kid because my mother was a songwriter, and I I didn't know that people didn't write songs. And so I, I've always had kind of a natural ability to put words and music together. So when I go into a re- writing session, um, I go in cold. I have no ideas. I don't know what the hell we're going to do. We may just end up having coffee and laughing and, you know, let's go shopping or something. Uh, but usually, the, you know, the, the formality of getting together and into a, a space with another songwriter or two, it's a sacred circle. And there's an energy that starts to build in the chemistry between the people in the room. Some people have more chemistry with or that energy with than others, but no one's ever asked for their money back. <laughs> True. Um, do, and I'm sure you get this question all the time from the outsider's perspective, but when you're writing, do, is there a moment when you know that a song's going to be big, or were there songs that were just a total surprise once they took off? Well, I mean, it was a, it was touch and go with living on a prayer because we wrote the song and I knew we had something special and so did Richie, but John had a different concept in his, in his mind as to what Bon Jovi was going to sound like. He, I think he wanted to rock out a lot harder and he thought that that song was a little bit sentimental Mm. so literally Richie Sambora and I got on our hands and knees literally in front of him and begged him to record the song at least record it and then decide later Mm. and uh, they did such an extraordinary job with the production with Bruce Fairburn the late great 
Bruce Fairburn, who also was producing Aerosmith, yeah, and um, in Vancouver, and it's just, it's just from the start, it was exciting, it's cinematic, and it changed the course of pop music. Yeah, it really did. And and you say in the uh, the album uh, Desmond Child Live uh, that that song's played in in bars and all kinds of places. It's funny when I was in college, that song was already twenty years old. It was a massive hit and legendary song then. And you know they'd play all the pop stuff, and then they'd play that song, and it's like you know it's just universal. Everybody knows it. Well, it's it's you know I'm 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 with ASCAP, and I asked. You know, well, when does my song get played? And they said, well, to tell you the truth, it's usually the last song played in a bar or a strip <laughs> joint at the end of the night because people will jump up and then they turn on the lights and then they tell people, well, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, I just wanted to go through some of the tracks. I, I think, you know, one of the oldest, perhaps, is I Was Made for Loving You, which I think is 40 years old now from uh, Dynasty, the Kiss record, um, 79. And, you know, talk about just, you know, connecting with Paul Stanley. Did this all start with you guys just hanging out at a club? My group, Desmond Child and Rouge, played all the little clubs in New York, and we made two albums on Capitol Records. And before our first album even came out, Paul Stanley had come to see us perform. And I didn't really know that much about Kiss. I, I, I didn't really understand that music. I was more into singer-songwriters like Joni Mitchell, Elton John, and, mm. and all of that. And um, he loved the group and would hang out with us, and he said, hey, why don't we try writing a song for Kiss? And we did, and it was I Was Made For Loving You. And that song is special because I was at that time experimenting in my group, working with um, drum beats, like drum machines okay, had just yeah. been invented, right? Uh -huh. And so using electric guitars, like rock guitars with drum beats, dance beats, had never been done before, so I hoodwinked him into trying it you know <laughs> with that concept and to this day I mean it's the biggest uh, selling song in the world yeah and it's funny because it's um, it was such a different era some people say Dynasty was you know a disco record and there was a, certainly influences but even when they play it live today I mean they've got all these hard rocking songs and then Paul does that chugging guitar thing you know and it's like there you go and it still holds it still works even for what they do today you know, I I just like I said I I've been extraordinarily I've been extraordinarily lucky yeah. to work with such incredible people, and you know we made each other better. You know, mm. working together, and so that's what I love about collaboration. And it's and it's just magic. You know, when you get into a room and you don't know what's going to happen. And you start talking about things, and then somebody plays a riff, and then somebody says something, and before you know it, you've written "Dude Looks Like a Lady." <laughs> That's right, and and also "Angel" too, which was written in was it forty five minutes or something like that. I mean, mm -hmm. when you were working with the guys in Aerosmith, what was was the approach different from say Kiss or Bon Jovi or like how did you assess that? You know that. Well, project? after I'd had the big hits with Bon Jovi, Aerosmith had a deal with Geffen and there was an extraordinary A&R guy there named John Claudner legendary mm. and he 
called me and said, I want you to work with Aerosmith. And they had never worked with an outside songwriter. And so I was flown to Boston. I was forced on the group. And uh, I, got, I came into this warehouse where they had been doing rehearsals. And it was, it was set up like a live stage. So it had, you know, martial amps, you know, all the way to the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> and, and on the floor, though, there were, it looked like an army of guitars. Uh, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and and every kind of guitar, like all in rows, like must have been a hundred guitars, so that Joe could just like look at his army of guitars and just pick one out. <laughs> That's, so out one That's so Joe Perry. That's so Joe Perry. And the microphone, you know, had all of you know Stevens like scarves. You know, it was like wow. And so I walked in, and there was something happening on the side of the stage. On the you know where the, you know, where they had the ref, the monitor, the monitor mix mm -hmm. station, and they were playing kind of a reverse guitar thing mm. that went, it was a loop. And um, Stephen welcomed me and brought me over and introduced me to Joe, and he said, well, what do you think about this? And uh, he started singing, you know, da-da, da-da, Cruising for the ladies, da-da, da-da, cruising for the ladies. And I said, the first words out of my mouth, I hadn't even really said hello, was, that's really bad. <laughs> that's so corny. Are you kidding me? I don't, I don't think Van Halen would put it on the B-side of their worst <laughs> album. They wouldn't even make their the worst album they ever made and they were like Joe crossed his arms and like he was looking at me like who is this guy get him out of here <laughs> and uh, Stephen who's like more of a people pleaser you know was like well I mean when I first started singing when I first started singing th th that riff I was singing dude looks like a lady and I said what dude looks like a lady and Joe said but we don't know what that means and I said okay I'm gay I know what that means, you know, and yeah. I hoodwinked, hoodwinked them down this path to tell the story that really was a mirror of what, how he actually came up with that. Mm. The band had gone to a bar, uh, not that they could drink because they were like on, you know, 12 step programs, you know, every which way, but they went there to hang out, to listen to music. And at the end of this bar that was completely empty, right at the end, there was this lonely, um, you know, kind of beauty with teased up platinum hair and, you know, beautiful, smooth skin, black nails, curvy waist. And uh, they were all like drawing straws at who was going to go up there and say hello. Mm. And so suddenly she turns around and it's Vince Neil of Motley Crue. <laughs> oh, and that, they were all going like, oh, God. And then Steven said, that dude looks like a lady. Dude looks like a lady. Dude looks like a lady. And that's where the riff came up. That's like a scene in the video for dude where there's you know, the person turns around. I think from what I remember, I haven't seen the the dude looks like a video. Dude looks like a lady video in years, but I think I remember something like that. Well, <laughs> they also had John Claudner with his long kind of ZZ Top beard, yeah. uh, dressed in a wedding dress. That was <laughs> okay. the A and R guy. Okay. Oh wow. You know, being yeah. a good sport. <laughs> uh, like sort of, sort of like the bearded lady in the, in a circus. Yeah. But in any case, um, I talked them into it, and um, the song.
song was stunning. And think about this, Aaron, it was God, so long ago. I mean, it was a true, you know, gender fluid, you know, trans anthem. Yeah. You know, where the second verse says, never judge a book by its cover or who you're going to love by your lover. It's so appropriate and, for today. Yeah. Yeah. So it really wasn't a, like a making fun of a, you know, transvestite or a transgender. It was kind of saying, hey, because he in the song says, my funky lady, I like it, like it, like it, like that. Mm -hmm. He doesn't, he doesn't take, he doesn't leave. He doesn't reject it. He goes for it because he likes how it looks. So, yeah. you know, it was amazing because they put it in Mrs. Doubtfire. I, I was just going to say. <laughs> Mrs. Doubtfire, that's where Mrs. Doubtfire makes the, uh, that's where Mrs. Doubtfire does the broom dance. Yeah. <laughs> With the and, guitar, yeah. And it's like every little kid in the world knew that song. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, did they really think about what it was saying? It was funny because a worker came over to my house and, I, and he said, oh, you you write those songs for Aerosmith. And I said, yeah, I wrote Dude Looks Like a Lady. He went, he looked at me and he said, Dude Looks Like a Lady. Oh, I thought it was... Do a uh, do a naked lady. <laughs> well, that's do funny a how naked people, lady. How, so do people... a naked lady. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was the song he wrote in his head because oh. that was more like what he thought made sense. Yeah. So it's funny how sometimes one can listen to a song and you think a certain lyric is yeah. a certain way, but it actually means something else. Yep. And that's one of the great things. Everybody brings their own story to a song, mm -hmm. and you know, you'll hear a love song and it might apply to, you know, the person you married or it might apply to a long lost love or it might apply to your dog. And uh, every that's the thing. It's a co-creation. Yeah. The, the, the music is made and then the person that listens to it completes the artwork. How, and how, I love that. Yeah, I do too. I mean, how common is that for people to mishear lyrics? I remember growing up, like Jet City Woman by Queensryche, I always thought they were saying, can't you see that wall, man, by the melody? You know, so that doesn't make any sense for Jet City Woman. Okay, I get it now. Like, how often has, um, I mean, have you, did, would you get frustrated sometimes if people misheard something in a different way, or, or is it just part of the charm of music? Oh, it's, it's just all fun, yeah. you know? It's great, you know, the crazy things that people think that you, yeah. that you wrote. <laughs> And, um, you know, it's, it's, I've lived a charmed life. I really have. I mean, I grew up in extreme poverty. I don't know if anyone's seen that movie called Moonlight. Yes. But that's yes. the project that I grew up in, in Miami, oh, wow. in Liberty City. And, you know, I managed, you know, to find a way to be successful. And, to, you know, as soon as... I was made for loving you hit I was able to move my mom to a nice apartment on Miami Beach and she wasn't allowed to bring any furniture or even her clothes I bought everything new wow. and a new car and everything and she lived like a queen like from that moment on and that that was always you know driving me it's like I want to take care of my mom because you know she just you know, couldn't hold down a job. She was always crying. She didn't even have money for her beat up car, so she had to walk blocks and blocks for a bus. You know, poverty is terrible, man. Oh, yeah. It's boring, it's dangerous, it's ugly. And, you know, I've tried everything I can do to make 
my life beautiful for my family and my friends and and share and and um you know try to make the world a better place with the resources that i have that's amazing you you do that with like you say, with the resources you have, but also, like, just the, the music itself. I mean, music heals it, it. I mean, how many times have you heard people say, like, you know, that song saved my life or that song changed my life? And what does that mean when you hear something like that? I got a letter once from a guy who said that he was going, going to kill himself. From a guy that said he's going, going, <laughs> sorry, I'll start again. I got a letter from a guy that said he was going to kill himself. And he drives his car up to the bridge and just jumps out of the car with the radio on and everything and goes up to the ledge and he was just leaning forward and living on a prayer came on the radio. And he heard the, you know, the opening, ooh, ooh, ah, ah, all that stuff. And he said, oh, that's my favorite song. Well, I wanna hear it first before I kill myself. So he went back in the car. By the time it got to the last chorus, he drove home. Wow. Oh my God! So, Bon Jovi saves lives. Yeah, proven. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what, when you read that. I mean, what what went through your mind when you read that note or that letter? Well, we've gotten so many letters yeah. from people that you know helped them get through their cancer struggle, um, that helped them survive loss and you know, so many things from all over the world. And so that's why the song still to this day, I mean, last year, and it's a song that's over 30 years old. And and uh, last year, I think it got half a billion streams, yeah. just the streaming, you know, just on Spotify or something, and uh, or Spotify and Pandora combined. And um, it just never quits. Because hope never quits. And that song's all about hope. If we don't have hope, we have nothing. You know, we, there's just no reason to live. So that song encourages people to believe in their dream, even if they're not going to make it. Even if it all falls apart, you have to keep living on a prayer. That's part one and part two. Desmond Child talks more about working across genres and a special collaboration he pulled together for a big movie soundtrack about 30 years ago, bringing together Paul Stanley, Michael Anthony, Tommy Lee, and remember Guy Man Dude? Oh yeah, it was a rocking collaboration. We'll talk more about that in part two. Have a great weekend, my friends.